Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for February 7, 2023, which we count in Hebrew as the 16th of Shabbat, 5783. I am Walter Bingham, and after two weeks' theaters because of sound problems, glad to be back again. My voice is a bit croaky, but I hope that this doesn't detract from your listening pleasure. I want to begin with something that has irked me for a very long time, the activity of the United Nations Human Rights Council, the UNHRC, and their rapporteurs sent to countries where human rights are scarcely existent. On this evidence, you might well support their work. But now, listen to this. Israel is seldom out of the headlines of the world's media. But unfortunately, not for its technological achievements, nor for its large network of aid to underdeveloped countries, or even for the state benefits and services afforded to our Arab citizens and residents equal to those of Israelis. The subject that is peddled by the international press is about the alleged misfortune of the oppressed indigenous Palestinian people in their ancestral land illegally occupied by Jews. The organization that considers it one of its important missions to disseminate those views is the United Nations Human Rights Council, UNHCR. They appoint so-called special rapporteurs for human rights, whose mission is to report to the UN General Assembly and to the UNHCR on the theme or country for which they are responsible. Their stated method consists of gathering relevant information from all available sources, including NGOs, and they may also visit the countries in question. The UNHCR, or the UN General Assembly, may request rapporteurs to issue interim statements in addition to their annual reports, which include a description of the activities carried out during the year in the framework of their mandate, and will normally also include discussions of specific themes or issues of relevance for the rights of the indigenous peoples. The UNHCR has appointed 10 rapporteurs to countries where the rule of law does not protect its citizens or minorities from being discriminated against or oppressed. They also found it necessary to include Israel in that group. The reason for their decision is an outrageous and totally fictitious anti-Semitic assessment of the relationship between our Arab citizens and residents and the Jewish-Israeli public. This is how Michael Link, the previous rapporteur for Israel, describes his conclusions. Quote, the situation of human rights in the Palestinian territory occupied since 1967 and the repressive practice over the course of its 55-year-old regime changed from an endless occupation 
into something darker, harsher and more ominous. The political system of entrenched rule in the occupied Palestinian territory satisfies the prevailing evidentiary standard for the existence of apartheid. Firstly, an institutionalized regime of systematic racial oppression and discrimination has been established. Secondly, this system of alien rule is intended to maintain the domination of one racial national ethnic group over another. And thirdly, the imposition of this system of institutionalized discrimination with the intent of permanent domination has been built upon the regular practice of inhuman acts. With the eyes of the international community wide open, Israel has imposed upon Palestinians an apartheid reality in a post-apartheid world. A regime of systematic racial oppression and discrimination, he wrote. And those statements are sanctioned by the United Nations. Michael Link was replaced as rapporteur a year ago by Francesco Albanese, an equally rabid antisemite who claims to observe the strictest standards of impartiality and objectivity. Probably referring to Israel, she wrote, if a government repeatedly violates its obligation in a serious way, then I must mobilize the public. Anything else would make me a traitor to my mandate. Those appointed are expected to be independent human rights experts. Albanese's declared expertise for the job is reflected in the previous positions she held, like senior advisor on migration and forced displacement for the think tank Arab Renaissance for Democracy and Development, ARDDD, where she co-founded the Global Network on the Question of Palestine, QNQP. That, in my view, contradicts her claim of being impartial and objective. Albanese also worked for UNRWA, the relief organization solely devoted to help the, don't laugh, six million Palestinian refugees from the 1948 Israel War of Liberation. And her LLB was earned at SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, renowned for its student body's open anti-Semitic activities. Indeed, to use their term with the eyes of the international community wide open, there is a mountain of evidence that the erroneously named Human Rights Council is openly discriminating against Israel, contradicting its raison d'etre, and should therefore be disbanded forthwith and its rapporteur sent home. If you want to comment on this or on any other subject that we discuss in this program, then please write to Walter at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, where you will always get my personal reply. Or place your comment in the appropriate section on the Walter Bingham file page of our website. And now I bring you another interview in the series 
Talking Heads. And the subject today is diplomacy. And the person in Israel, besides the president and the prime minister, who meets every high-ranking foreign visitor, from kings and presidents to ambassadors and ministers, is sitting with me in my Jerusalem studio right now. He is His Excellency Ambassador Extraordinaire Gil Haskell, subordinate only to the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and it is my pleasure to welcome him. Mr. Ambassador, thank you for coming to tell us about some of your work. Thank you, Walter, for inviting me. It's my pleasure, honor, and great delight to be here with you. Despite your very important position, you have kept a very low profile. So let's first get to know you a little better. You were born some 57 years ago in Israel. I suppose you were in the IDF? Yes, I was a major in artillery. Did you always have the intention to enter the diplomatic service? I studied psychology and political science, and I wanted to be a political psychologist. I wanted to analyze leaders, and I was sure that there is a department in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs that does these type of things. And when I approached the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, to my surprise, they said that we don't deal with such things, but you can apply for the diplomatic course, which I did, and I was accepted. This was exactly 30 years ago. You just preempted my question. I believe that it was in 1992 that you entered the service and you succeeded to become a diplomat of high rank. What kind of training does a budding diplomat get? You know, Israeli diplomats are supposed to be very uh, fluent in the international arena of the State of Israel. Not in the international arena per se, but in the international arena of the State of Israel. Israel vis-à-vis the world. And the training basically is composed of two major aspects. One is getting to know Israel in an intimate manner because you have to represent Israel in all that there is to the world. And you have to be very well conversed in the international arena so you can alert the different uh, sources in Israel about things that are going on in the world that might affect the state of Israel. How did you start? What was your first job, your first appointment? My first appointment was deputy uh, spokesperson for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs when I was a very young diplomat. These were the days of the Oslo Accords and the, the Israeli diplomatic activity was very, very vast. Literally, we worked round the clock in hosting delegations that came to Israel. The Minister of Foreign Affairs at, at the time was Shimon Peres, and he himself worked round the clock. And being a deputy spokesperson of the ministry, we also had to cater to his needs, and we were there day and night hosting delegations. Very interesting. And since then, you have represented Israel in a variety of capacities, including, among others, political counsel and spokesman at our embassy in Tokyo. You served as head of the Northeast Asia Desk and as head of the NGO Liaison Unit. You were director of the Economic Affairs Department, all at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And you were also ambassador of the State of Israel to Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Malawi, and the Seychelles. Were you resident at one place representing all those countries? Yes, I was resident in Nairobi, Kenya, and I was a non-resident for all the rest of the countries that you rightly mentioned. 
And basically, it's the vast part of East Africa, which is uh, a very, very interesting geographical area for the State of Israel. That's quite a package of experience, and I apologize if I've omitted anything. You admit a very important portion of my career, and that was a four-year service in New Delhi, India. So which of these places was the most satisfying, the one in which you think that you achieved most? New Delhi, India. This was in a very, very interesting point of time. It was less than one year after Israel and India first established diplomatic relations. This was in 1994. And that was a fascinating experience because I was the first Israeli that most Indians that I met ever laid their eyes or shake their hands with. So it was a very, very fulfilling task to get to present to these people who never countered Israel before to present Israel to them. And there are other organizations with which you were involved that I didn't mention yet, simply because I don't know anything about them, or I must admit, I've never heard of them. You were the head of Mashav, Israel's Agency for International Development, which was already established in 1957. By Golda Meir. And you were also Israel's representative to UNON, UNEP, UN Habitat, in very few words, what are they all? Well, I was the Israeli ambassador to three UN organizations, all based in Nairobi, Kenya. UNON is the UN headquarters of UN activity in East Africa. UNEP is the United Nations Environmental Program that basically deals with all the United Nations international environmental activity, which is key in international diplomacy nowadays, all the issues of climate change. And UN Habitat is the UN organization in charge of housing, especially in underdeveloped countries. You mentioned Mashav. Mashav is the Israeli Agency for International Development Cooperation. It's the uh, Israeli version of USAID or UKAID. It is the uh, international aid program of the State of Israel. And I was the head of that agency for seven years. And that was an amazing period in my career being able to represent the State of Israel and to offer aid to more than 100 different countries around the world, which Israel has a very, very vast development program. And this is a key of Israeli diplomacy. Interesting, they're still voting against us in the way. Some vote against us, but those who change the pattern of vote, many times it's connected to the aid program of the State of Israel. I think our policy is to aid other countries for humanitarian reasons, of course, but also so that they are voting for us. Well, you know, Walter, uh, international relations and bilateral relations don't always come down to the vote. Sometimes we have very good flourishing relations with countries that not necessarily vote in favor of Israel at the UN for different reasons. But it definitely does not reflect relations with those countries. I'm thinking of Ukraine right now, but that's another story. I really didn't know that there are so many lesser-known UN organizations. But now let me come to your present position as Chief of Protocol, a most colorful task. When were you appointed to this position? Two and a half years ago. It was in the midst of COVID. It was a very challenging period to assume the task of Chief of Protocol. For Israel's officials, there is an order of precedence, mm -hmm. starting with the state president, all the way to, I believe, number 25, which is the mayor of Jerusalem. 
did you have to learn all that? Thank God it's written down so you don't really have to learn by heart the order of precedence. But order of precedence is a key component of international protocol and of Israeli protocol, and we try to abide by it. Ambassador, at the state occasions at which I have been present, you always play a very important role on the red carpet and even before. Please describe for us in more detail the many tasks of the Chief of Protocol, of which briefly I spoke in the introduction. Walter, protocol is a very, very important component for most countries in the world. I have to admit, being a Chief of Protocol in the State of Israel is rather challenging because Israel is not a country that uh, believes in protocol. You know, we're very relaxed, we're a very unofficial society, government, people. But in the outside world, protocol is very, very important. And when a leader comes to visit Israel, his entourage, and many times he himself, regard protocol as very, very important to follow during the visit. And my job is to bridge the non-protocol Israeli manner with a very highly protocol international manner and to see they both do not clash and all visits to the state of Israel, which I'm in charge of, starting from kings and the Pope and presidents and prime ministers and ministers. All these visits have to be very, very carefully crafted and we have to make sure that these leaders who come to Israel have the best visit that we can offer and they are not offended Sometimes, not intentionally, but if an Israeli politician will uh, treat an international leader in a non-protocol manner, which in Israel seems very natural, it might cause a diplomatic crisis. Am I right that you're also in charge of diplomatic appointments? The one in charge of diplomatic appointments is the government of Israel and the foreign minister, but I execute these appointments into reality. We have to uh, prepare all the um, documents for any Israeli ambassador who is appointed as ambassador abroad. We have to prepare a letter of credence signed by the Israeli president and Israeli minister of foreign affairs that in turn will be handed over to the leader of the country that we are sending our ambassador to. And I'm in charge of receiving all the incoming foreign ambassadors who come into the state of Israel. Some of them can't speak English. How do you get on with translations? Thank God in Israel it's easy to find translators for all different languages. So when there's an ambassador, it's not very common, but when there's an ambassador who does not speak English or head of state, then we use translation. So there is an established protocol. Do you ever change it to suit the occasion? In Israel, protocol is sometimes flexible because we have to suit ourselves to where we are living and to the nature of our environment. And many times the Israeli protocol clashing with the visitor's protocol, and then we have to somehow find a way in the middle. So in these cases, I usually get in touch with my counterpart of the visiting president, for instance, if the president of the United States, so he's accompanied by the chief of protocol of the United States, and we iron out any wrinkles that we might have that are conflicting between the Israeli protocol and the American protocol. For instance, at airport arrivals, does your department brief the guest before he or she disembarks at what to expect, or do you hope it just works? Many times when a foreign leader arrives to Israel, I walk up the stairs and I meet him upon exiting the plane. I tell him what he should expect down on the red carpet, 
And if there's anything unusual, I alert him on what he's going to experience because we do not want to surprise anyone, embarrass anyone. We want everything to be smooth to please all our guests here in Israel. What an interesting job. Very interesting job. And I must admit that I meet highly interesting people, leaders from all corners of the world and it's very fulfilling. Am I right that you usually write with the visiting diplomats to their first destination? which I take it is mostly the King David Hotel in Jerusalem. It's not always the King David Hotel. We do offer our guests five-star hotels, and I do accompany them to their first destination, which is sometimes immediately to a meeting. He might go directly to the presidency to meet our president, and then, of course, I accompany every one of those guests. Are some of these guests easier to be with than others? And what do you talk about on the journey in the car? Well, I usually don't travel with them in the car. This is something that changed during COVID, and we haven't changed it back yet. But it's very easy to find topics for conversation. The world is very interesting, and world leaders come from very interesting spots on the globe, and we either discuss Israel or their country, or we discuss global affairs, regional affairs here in Israel. And I have to say that these people are all fascinating. Are they surprised what they see on their car journey? Is that what they expect? Yes, some of them are very surprised because Israel has an image of being a country on the verge of the desert and they travel from Ben Gurion Airport to Jerusalem and everything is green, the fields are blossoming and from that point of view they're surprised. The roads in Israel are always a pleasant surprise for these visitors because the road system in Israel is fabulous compared to other parts of the world. One of the colorful occasions is the ceremony when several foreign ambassadors to the State of Israel present their letters of credence to our president. It all happens in strictly timed intervals, and I notice that you arrive and return with each ambassador with a police motorcycle escort. Where do you collect them from? We collect the ambassadors from the King David Hotel. That is the launching pad for these ceremonies. Usually we have a batch of five ambassadors presenting their credentials. We made it a point even during COVID that each ambassador has his private ceremony with the president of the State of Israel. It's not the case everywhere in the world. Some places in the world they have collective ceremonies for a few ambassadors. We make it a point to go back and forth and bring each ambassador to the presidency to have his national anthem played, to have a, an individual ceremony with our president and to have a private audience with the President of the State of Israel. It all seems to work very smoothly, as I could see it. Uh, do the ambassadors receive details of the procedure beforehand, or do you brief them on the journey? We have a one or one and a half hour briefing prior to the day of the ceremony, and we have a booklet that we give them with the exact proceedings of the ceremony, because it's a very, very intricate ceremony, as you saw it yourself and there's no room for any mistake. It's a full-fledged military ceremony with a military band, a guard of honor, hoisting of the flags, paying reverence to the flag of the State of Israel, playing also the Israeli national anthem, presenting the credentials in a very, very formal manner to the President of the State of Israel, and then sitting for a discussion with the President before he offers a toast to the success of the ambassador and to the bilateral relations between both countries. I'm always amazed at the detailed knowledge that President Herzog displays about the history, the current events of the visitor's country, 
and about the details of our relations, official and unofficial, with the state they represent. There are, as you said, usually several of ambassadors uh, whom he has to deal with. He must spend a great deal of time being briefed. Is that also your task? Yes, we pass on to the presidency details of the country that the ambassador is coming from and some personal details of the ambassador-designate himself. The president's team prepare the notes for the president. The president is a very, very knowledgeable individual, and his knowledge and his fast ability to learn and briefings that he receives from his staff allow him to be very well informed uh, vis-à-vis any of his guests, ambassadors, and also foreign dignitaries. Yes, of course, he comes from a family that is already in the diplomatic world, and he must have learned from a very early age. Well, of course, his father was the president, and before that he was the ambassador to the UN. Uh, his very famous uncle is Abba Iban, who is one of the key foreign ministers that the State of Israel had. So he's very well connected to the diplomatic world. Now tell me about any embarrassing moments you had. Well, I'll tell you one rather embarrassing moment. When President Biden arrived at one of the hotels in Jerusalem and we walk into the elevator and the elevator got stuck and the doors opened and the doors closed again and we pressed the button and the elevator is still stuck. And in the elevator, it's President of the United States, myself and his bodyguard. He was supposed to reach the fifth floor, so of course we cannot walk up the stairs. So we had to go through the kitchen, the very, very back alleys of the kitchen to the service elevator in order to bring the President of the United States to his hotel room. He was in a very good mood. The only thing he told me that uh, walking through these backdoor kitchens makes Washington hotels look fabulous. Oh, that is sad. So it's been two and a half years and COVID since you were appointed Chief of Protocol. And who was the favorite diplomat, perhaps the easiest going so far, that you've encountered? Well, that's very difficult. You know, I'm dealing with 96 ambassadors here in Israel on a daily basis. Like a father cannot favor any of his children, uh, I would not like to favor any of the ambassadors. I can just tell you, Walter, that the diplomatic community and the core of ambassadors serving in the state of Israel are an amazing group of people. The world sends its best diplomats to serve in the state of Israel. There is a misperception here in Israel that Israel has diplomatic challenges and uh, Israel is disliked in the international community. So it's true that Israel is singled out in some UN international bodies, but it's definitely not singled out in the international diplomatic arena. Israel is a sought-after country, sought-after destinations. We have many more requests of leaders to come to visit Israel than we can actually cater. And this is something very important for the Israeli public to know. Israel is very much a part of the international community. And uh, from that point of view, I think all of us in the foreign ministry are working very hard in order to promote Israel in the international community. And we're very satisfied with the work that we are achieving. That's very satisfying to hear from a diplomat who is right in the midst of it all. You've met all those famous people Is there anyone you would still like to meet? I enjoy each encounter with, I would say, 95% of world leaders that I've met here in Israel. 
were very nice people. That's 95%. What about the other five? There are 5% which I will not mention names, which were not very pleasant. To you personally? In general, not very pleasant people. The very, very tiny minority were, were not pleasant. All the rest were very pleasant, very courteous, nice to talk to, nice to travel around Israel with. They compliment Israel. They like people. They like the state of Israel. And it's an honor and pleasure interacting with them. What was your favorite state occasion at which you officiated? I understand that you c cannot mention names of who are your favorite people, but as a state occasion. Well, the most elaborate occasion was, of course, the welcome ceremony for President Biden. And I would say the most fulfilling moment was the moment that the door of the plane opened and President Biden came out of it because so many hours of preparation within Israel, international deliberations between us and the White House protocol and the State Department and the U.S. Embassy here in Jerusalem, literally day and night meetings and uh, engagements in order for this meeting to be as smooth as possible. The biggest challenge was that the president was landing mid-June at 2 p.m., which is extremely hot at Ben-Gurion Airport. And why am I saying that this was a very fulfilling moment? Because somehow, maybe with God's intervention, the minute those doors opened, there started an afternoon breeze at Ben Gurion Airport. As if God turned on the air conditioning for all of us. And this turned the ceremony into a very, very pleasant event. Finally, do you prefer your current job or would you rather serve abroad? when the time comes, and if so, where would you like to be? Well, I can tell you that at present I'm in love with my job. I love the interactions and the conversations, be it ambassadors, be it foreign leaders. We almost had the Pope coming to Israel two years ago, and that was a very high expectation for me to meet the Pope. I have some personal aspirations to meet some royals from our region here in the Middle East to host them at the Ben Gurion airport. So I don't look forward to ending uh, this position at all. Of course, as a diplomat, I'm also looking at my uh, next position uh, somewhere abroad. It's a bit early to say where I would prefer to be. but Washington, London. The world is a fascinating place, and everywhere you go to becomes the center of your life. Do you think that the new king of England, King Charles, will now make a state visit to Israel? Because the queen never did. Well, we hope he will visit Israel. King Charles has visited Israel under his previous capacity as Prince of Wales several times. If he comes, we will welcome him uh, wholeheartedly. Ambassador Gil Haskell, thank you so much for coming on the program and tell us all about your interesting job, and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Walter. Again, happy birthday to you. This is uh, your birthday week. And it's my honor and pleasure to be hosted on your program in this very, very auspicious uh, week of yours. Thank you very much, sir. This is the end for today. Thank you for listening. With God's help, we'll meet again next time, when I shall hopefully have a very extensive interview with the Ambassador of the Federal Republic of Germany. Until then, this is Walter Bingham, wishing you a peaceful and good week. And please visit your elderly neighbor. Many parts of the world experience very inclement weather, and that prevents the elderly from going out. 
Your visit may save their life. Thank you. Goodbye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.